Hello and welcome back to the Literary Salon Podcast. It's me, Damien Barr, bringing you another book of the week. You do need to know about this new book. Now, it is by a comedian that I have known of for years. Her name always pops up on comedy shows. She's often a writer rather than appearing herself. She used to do lots of writing for Graham Norton back in the day. I'm pretty sure I used to see her name flying by when I was watching his chat show. Um, Anyway, this is her first book, so it's a debut, and it's a memoir. Her name is Jo Caulfield. She was raised in England by Irish parents and has spent the last decade living in Edinburgh. Channel 4 selected her as one of the 100 greatest stand-up comedians and in 2022 she was voted the Comedian's Comedian of the Year. So that's an award voted for by her peers and members of the comedy industry. I was going to use that word stalwart but that just, I always feel that that's like slightly damning in some sense Um, because it's not about how long she's been around, it's about how funny she's been while she's been around and she's brilliant. Anyway, the book is called The Funny Thing About Death. It's the story of Joe and her sister, Annie. And as Joe says, the power of a big sister is mighty, but it makes for an unreliable narrator. Purple Smarties were poisonous. The Virgin Mary appeared to her in the bathroom. If I cut my hair, it would grow black blonde. Sorry, it would grow. If I cut my hair, it would grow back blonde. I did, and it didn't. And David Cassidy was her brother. Yes, 70s TV's David Cassidy. So these are the things that, um, Annie said to Joe. The book is about what happens after Annie is diagnosed with cancer and it's interlaced with stories of the two of them growing up together on Air Force bases and in Catholic boarding schools. Ultimately though, it's relying on laughter to face the darkest times. So it reminded me a wee bit in that way of Abby Morgan's memoir. So you're laughing and then you're crying. As Dolly Parton famously said, laughter through tears is my favourite mixed emotion. And our lovely Graeme Norton called the book a wildly satisfying and moving read. Here's Joe with a reading just for you. Hi, I'm Joe Caulfield, a comedian and now author, and I'm thrilled to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, The Funny Thing About Death. This is early in the book when I just found out that my sister has cancer and then it takes me off into a memory of us going travelling together, uh, which I think is very typical of the book. The book weaves between past and present and it also includes some of my sister's writing so that you really get to know her. A couple of days after the email telling me she had cancer, I went to London and met Annie at Peter Jones' department store one of our favourite places for tea and judging people. Peter Jones is owned by John Lewis, so if you're a John Lewis lover, that's all you need to know. I've often thought that John Lewis should run the world because they're very good to their staff and they were one of the first companies to give same-sex partners the family staff discount. Sort of socialists, but also they understand that we still want to have nice things and go for tea and cake. Annie was shockingly thin, bones sticking out, arms with barely any flesh on them. Oh God, how did she get so thin? How could we have let her get so thin? I thought about another day when I'd met her in Soho. I'd thought then that she was looking thin. When was that? It was warm and sunny. Was it spring? Could have been over a year ago. I hadn't said anything. I didn't know that weight loss is a huge line, that something is wrong. Something like cancer. 
What if I had said something way back then? Your tooth in, Annie. You should go to a doctor. Why didn't I say something? If I had, could they have found the cancer earlier? Or was the thinness nothing to do with cancer? She asked if I minded going to the counter as she was too weak. I could tell she was still finding her feet in her new role as a person with cancer. That's how she seemed, like an actress. Yes, she had cancer, but how was she going to have cancer? The worst thing in life to Annie was to be boring. She wanted to do this well, to be a person with cancer in the best way she could. It was her own peculiar kind of bravery. She was always brave, all her life, because she would be scared and worried and usually unprepared, but she'd just take a deep breath and charge ahead. They are the really brave ones, the scared people. Not the sporty warriors who go bungee jumping or whitewater rafting. I can see her small head, the short blonde hair, see her face thrust forward, grabbing life, worried but wanting to be one of the brave people. There were so many things I questioned, but I just pushed the questions away. I would go back to how I was as a kid, when Annie knew best. For years I trotted along behind her, just happy to be there, But over time I had realised that knowing wasn't the most important thing to Annie. Too much planning and research meant you probably wouldn't do something. The doing was what was important because that would make something happen. Something you could learn from. Something that would take you to a different world. Something you could write about. When I was 16 and she was 21, we went hitchhiking round Europe. Not interrailing, hitchhiking. Getting in strangers' cars. Two young women alone. It did occur to me that maybe it wasn't a great idea. But Annie knew best. It was only when we were jumping out of a moving lorry as it slowed down on a hairpin bend in the Swiss Alps that I thought, maybe Annie doesn't always know best. We were sexually harassed across five countries, but you don't get good stories by making sensible decisions. In France, we got a lift from a handsome older man, Annie sat in the front and chatted away in French, some of which I understood. He then drove off the main road into a wood. Then he drove further into the wood. Driving young women into a wood is classic horror movie stuff. It's Little Red Riding Hood, for fuck's sake. It's clearly a bad sign. Alarm bells were clanging in my head. The road became a dirt track. I whispered to Annie that we should stop or ask him where we are going. I could tell Annie was worried, but she didn't want to let on. She didn't want our adventure to go wrong. He stopped the car, saying this was an excellent place to camp. We watched him drive away. Maybe it was a good place to camp. Alone, deep in the woods, about three miles from the nearest main road, just as it was getting dark. Annie seemed to think it was fine, so I acted like it was fine. We started to put up our tent and talked about how the man had looked like Clint Eastwood very handsome. I looked up and there he was, about a hundred yards away. Annie, he's come back. He's coming towards us. Annie looked up at Clint Eastwood. She went forward to speak to him. They exchanged a few sentences, then she swore at him. I stood behind her, clutching a saucepan, ready to step in if the reasoning in French didn't work. Coup à la main. Coup à la main. I picked out that phrase. Did it mean Just a hand job. He was gesturing and shouting as though he was complaining about bad service in a restaurant. One last Gallic shrug and he turned round and went off down the track. 
Annie turned to ask if I was okay, laughing and hugging me when she saw the saucepan. How different our reactions were. Maybe I have always been more of a saucepan-wielding realist. It makes my heart ache to think how young and inexperienced we were. But she looked out for me, always putting on a brave face. The bad Clint Eastwood, as he was then referred to, had put some money under a windscreen wiper when he picked us up. Apparently that was a sign. And we should have known that he was going to take us into the woods and get a blow job or some sort of job. We discussed the likelihood of him coming back. Bad Clint Eastwood knew where we were. We packed up and made the long trek down to the road. I thought every approaching car was him coming back. I was helpless with sort of fear and laughter as my sister would whisper, it's bad Clint Eastwood, it's bad Clint Eastwood, until the car disappeared from view. It's not bad Clint Eastwood. It was night and we didn't have anything sensible like a torch, so we were stumbling around in the dark, not quite sure where we were. I don't remember setting up the tent, but we thought it was sensible to move inland away from the roadside. We woke to the sound of bulldozers. Looking out at the tent in daylight, it appeared that we had camped in some sort of quarry. It was very much a working quarry, and we were perched on the very edge of it on a tiny square of unexcavated land. Men in hard hats were stomping away uh, about 20 feet from us, and Annie was casually doing her usual morning routine of cleaning her face with Anne French deep cleansing milk, the smell of lemon and damp sleeping bags. Later in the trip, we somehow ended up back in the Alps, wearing shorts and hitchhacking by the roadside in the snow. We had failed to collate the whole higher altitude, lower temperature weather thing. We were freezing cold and I'd missed breakfast, so I was sure I would be dead by lunchtime. Having adventures and stories to tell was losing its appeal to me. Salvation came in the form of two young Japanese men in a tiny fiat. They showed no desire to do any raping and instead fed us biscuits and put jumpers on our legs. Annie did know best. She approached cancer much as she approached that trip. Too much research and knowledge might not be the way to go. She didn't need to know the worst-case scenario. She certainly didn't need or want anyone talking about her cancer. Cancer was suddenly everywhere. People couldn't shut up about cancer. There seemed to be endless celebrities talking about their battle with cancer. I shouted at people on TV. You're not the only one with cancer. My sister has cancer. I know. Ridiculous. There was no right or wrong way to deal with having cancer. A lot of people do it very publicly. They will make a diary of their treatment. They will be almost aggressively positive and open, sharing all the details. But that's not the only way. And I feel strangely defensive of my sister because she didn't deal with it in that way. I would get irrationally annoyed with all that openness about cancer. Somehow, if you weren't open and sharing, you weren't playing the game. It felt like a personal attack on Annie, this one-show approach to people with cancer. So today we have a person with cancer on the show. Tell us how brave and positive you're being and be funny about anything unpleasant. Crying would be good too, but not too much as that's not really the feel of the show. And the next item's about Gino DeCampio's nude cookbook. Cancer was the least interesting thing about Annie. It wasn't her. It was something that happened to her. And I resent giving it attention. Cancer doesn't reward you for researching it or investing your time and energy in trying to beat it. You are nothing to cancer. 
You're just a place to stay. It may leave you, never to return, or it may come back again and again, or it may ravage you quickly and thoroughly. Cancer doesn't care who you are. It is random and merciless. She was so much more interesting than cancer, but cancer ended up being the dominant storyline. So I think that reading really does show Joe's talent for mixing the bitter with the sweet, the funny and the sad. And if there's one line that I'm taking away from her book, it's this one. You don't get good stories by making sensible decisions. May we all make story-worthy choices and have saucepan-wielding realists there to back us up when things go south. That was the very funny Joe Caulfield reading exclusively for the Literary Salon. The Funny Thing About Death is published by Polygon, an imprint of Scottish independent publisher Berlin, and it's available now in all good bookshops. And we featured quite a few books from Polygon um, on the podcast because we love the books that they make. We love the choices that their editors are making and they are bringing, to, bringing out stories that we don't see elsewhere. We recommend buying a copy from your local independent bookshop and if you're anywhere near St Andrews on September the 20th then you can catch Joe in person at Toppings and that is a very lovely bookshop. I did an event there when I was touring with You Will Be Safe Here and it was gorgeous. So turn up early and browse their shelves. We're going to leave a ticket link in the notes below. As always, please do share this episode with a friend, somebody who has read and enjoyed perhaps Strong Female Character by Fern Brady, um, or The Last Act of Love by Cathy Rensenbrink, which is a book that premiered at the Salon, what feels like, many years ago. Anyway, enjoy Joe's book. It's called The Funny Thing About Death. Thank you for listening and join us again soon. <laughs>